started in Corinth. So I wanted to read that this morning to, before we start our, our study of Corinthians. So we will be in 1 Corinthians this morning. I invite you to turn there to, to 1 Corinthians. And this is where we're going to be for just a few weeks as we look at the themes and uh, the, the lessons that Paul brings to this church that was really, really struggling uh, at the time. Now, um, let me get there as well. Before we dive into the text, I wanted to make us aware, um, you may know, um, hold on a second, okay, you may know of this, you may have seen this on social media, uh, go back a thing, um, we got a family who used to attend uh, the, uh, the services here called the Matthias family, I don't know the number of you were after their time, but a number of you know uh, Jess and Denton Matthias and maybe some of the struggles they've had over the last few months dealing with some uh, extreme mold damage in their home. They live down in Florida, and so they've got, uh, because of the hurricane and weather, they got some mold damage, and Denton uh, ended up going to the hospital uh, because of uh, the severity of it. So he was in the emergency room. They were, he's got a bunch of stuff in his lungs because of the, the mold and stuff from the house, and so they're struggling through that. And a number of people have asked us, how can we help out in that? Because they used to be family here. They used to, he, she used to, Jess used to lead worship here, so how can you help out? So we've got these little cards here uh, with information, a uh, little bit of information, a little barcode you can go, they've got a GoFundMe page, and so we know there's been some folks who've donated towards that and just wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to, to look at that and have that information. You can find them on social media and hear their story. You could go to a GoFundMe page and help them out. These are in the foyer in the back on the little table by the TV if you'd like to help out in that. So I just wanted to mention that because they are family. And, and you know, this is, I think this is kind of what Paul is talking about when he starts the Corinthian letter, when he's penning this letter to the church who's really, really struggling. And they got all sorts of issues some of them are serious, and some of them are like, what in the world are you doing? Why, why are you fighting about this stuff? And uh, we've got actually one of those little issues, too, that's popped up in our community just recently, so you can show that. Um, if you've not heard about the art stuff in town, I'm not going to talk about this very much. That We're not going to go over this very much this morning, but as a church, uh, we've been asked uh, our opinions on this. I don't know if you've been aware of that. Churches have been asked their opinions on the controversy of the art stuff that's happened in, in Littleton. And the reason I want to even show this is because I don't care what our opinions are on the, the value of art, if it's good art or if it's not, if it's even right or wrong because this is on a public space and or in a private space and, and not public property. There's a whole bunch of debates around there. But the, the one thing that kept coming to me uh, by a number of individuals uh, is this, this thought, this, this, this phrase was given to me or asked of me or, or directed at me um, about the community who's putting this art out. And the, the phrase that came up most often was, I can't imagine how pornographic it is. And that came from some people who maybe didn't know about the art or what it looked like. And so I just, this is the art in question in our community, whether it's right or wrong, whether there are hidden messages in there. Um, I just want to sort of be on the same page that this maybe isn't as big of a controversy 
as it needs to be within our community. And so we've, we've, uh, we're not diving into all this, and we can talk about art and, and what we need to do about it. And maybe, maybe as we, maybe I, I, I bring this up too, because this Corinthian church is in the midst of, of controversy that they've, they've swirled up amongst themselves. And, and a lot of it, uh, it tends to be directed out, like they're not doing this, they're not doing this, or they're not abiding by our values, whatever. And, and Paul is getting this letter, and he's writing this letter to a church to take care of church things, to not take care of greater community things, though I think there is a place for, as believers, to talk about community things, but we're not going to talk about this, so, so let's, we'll skip on from the art piece here and go into, let's, let's talk about this church that is struggling. We're, life is messy. Life is messy. This, this kind of stuff pops up all over the place. Life is messy. Opinions are messy. Even conflicting values are, are messy, and our hope here at the church, at Faith Bible Church, is to continue to rally around not a certain cultural stance or a political statement or, or, or some stuff that's happening in the community. Our, our hope is to rally around the counsel of God, His Word, to gain wisdom on how to navigate the messiness of life and the church's purpose navigating in the messiness of life. And, and to be an understanding that not everything that a Christian does, or not everything that a Christian says is right or perfect. Not everything that what we, who we would call an unbeliever or what the world says or does is ill intent or evil, but we tend to categorize and split us into categories like that and, and tend to see ourselves on the side of, of, of what is right and everything else is sort of what is wrong or, or ascribe an evil intent to it. And, and so we just kind of want to, it's interesting that this kind of came up this past week as diving into the, the book of Corinthians here. Church, church, American church, global church, we, we've got enough controversy amongst us to deal with instead of trying to manage all of the cultural issues of the day or try to control all of the cultural issues of the day. We've got our own stuff to deal with as church. And, and I'm just not going to say just Faith Bible Church. I'm going to say global church, American church. We've got our own stuff. We, we've seen it this past week as well in the news. And, and the thing is, oh man, Jesus says this. Jesus says this in Matthew 15. Or excuse me, Matthew 5, 16. I think we've got the verse there, Marge. He says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus says this to us. Jesus says this to the church. The Corinthian church is really surrounded by a lot of internal scandal with what they're going through, what they're dealing with. Man, we're going to see some crazy stuff in this book as Paul's writing and, and responding to this church in the first century. 
And Jesus says, let our light shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus doesn't say, hey, let that perfect doctrine shine so that they can see that and give glory, though, perfect, though doctrine is very important. It, it, that's not the stuff that the world sees. Paul's addressing a church in scandal. Scandal has a way of erasing years and years and years of good works. Right? You think about it, you think about uh, maybe a celebrity, a politician, a church leader, whatever, and all of a sudden something comes out with them, and it's like, oh my word, I can't believe he, she did this or fell into this trap, or I, they, I thought they were the, the perfect role model, and then all of a sudden this came out, and then all of a sudden you, you, you see that, what, years of good works, years of, of preaching and teaching the gospel, years of whatever it may be, charity, community involvement, that all seems to get erased by the scandal of the day. And Jesus says to us, let your light shine for others so that they see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. So let's dive into this letter written to a church that has experienced many of the same questions that, that we have for our day and age. For our day and age. The thing is, as th- I was thinking through you know, I, I, we often hear that, oh my gosh, this, this is unprecedented time, unprecedented time, and, and I can't believe we're in this time, and why can't we go back to the, you know, whatever it is, we have all this language around how this is the time that's so much different than every other time, right? Either the troubles are, are, are bigger or w- whatever it may be, but the, the, the wisest person who ever lived besides Jesus, King Solomon, what did he say? He says, there's nothing new under the sun, there's nothing new under the sun, and we're going to see this in Corinthians with the struggles that this church is dealing with and how this stuff, these themes just keep popping up over and over and over and over again because there is nothing new under the sun. I'm listening to a, a history podcast called, what's it called, American History Tellers. I like it. It's not necessarily a Christian podcast, but it just takes cultural stuff from uh, American history and, and puts these nice little podcasts together episodes to, to kind of outline the details of it. And I'm listening to this thing and, and we hear all the, the, the stuff that's swirling around in our culture. And I'm like, good grief, a hundred years ago, they were dealing with the same thing. Good grief at the founding, they were dealing with the same thing. Good grief. You know, it, 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 just, it reminds me that all this stuff just keeps coming round and round and round and round. Truly, there's nothing new under the sun. So let's dive into this letter. In the first verse, in first, chapter 1, and the way we're going to approach this study. So we went through Luke. Many, many of you here, you held out through Luke as we went through Luke for like two years, which was great, two and a half, uh, which was great. A fantastic study going straight through, all the way through. We're going to approach the, the study of Corinthians a little bit different. We're going to kind of section it off in themes more. And uh, this is going to be about, a, uh, a, a, I think, up to a 20-week study in, in Corinthians, touching on these different themes in, in the book. So it's, it's not going to be as long as, as Luke. Because you look at, you, look, you probably, if you were here with us in Luke, you're like, well, how many, ver- how many chapters is this thing? <laughs> you know, in comparison, as you're, as you're looking at how we go through the scriptures, and like, oh, there's like 16. Oh my gosh, well, we'll finish in 2025. No, that's not the goal. We're going to take this one a little bit different approach. But in chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sothenes, our brother, 
to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, and all those in every place who call on the name of Christ Jesus as our Lord, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we start a series like this, when we start a letter like this, a new study, I always like to go back to the history and try to put us in the place of these people. Because this, this letter was written, this is a letter, this letter was written to a certain group of people at a certain time, in a certain place, experiencing certain things, and again, we experience these as well, but we don't live in the first century, do we? Anybody here? No, we don't live in the first century, right? We don't live in this time or this space, and so there are some things that could be a little confusing for us if we don't, keep, if we don't continue to remind ourselves about the audience, that first audience, and how they would have responded to this. Therefore, how do we respond to it as well? And so Corinth, this is written to a church in Corinth. We read in Acts 18 sort of the story behind that. Thank you, Beth, for reading that to us. The story behind Paul's journey to Corinth and how they started the church. Corinth is located in Greece. It's located in Greece. Uh, um, I think I got a map there too. There you go. That's kind of small. That's kind of small. So you you see Italy there and Greece off to the right. The little red dot in the maps, that's where Corinth is located. And then you see Turkey off to the right of that. So this is where it is in the Mediterranean. Uh, This had been the capital of the Providence for a while. Uh, The city was destroyed by Rome in 146 BC. So Rome comes through they, they experience trouble with a city that they're trying to conquer, whatever. They come through and they say, man, we're, we're going to wipe it out. We're just going to wipe it out. But in 44 BC, it's about 100 years later, Julius Caesar, you recognize the name Julius Caesar, right? Uh, first, first real Caesar, uh, emperor of, of Rome. Um, and uh, he comes in and has the place rebuilt. Okay, so Corinth is, is wiped out. And they've just got villages and, and scattered people in this area now. Rome comes in and they decide, hey, we're gonna, Caesar comes in, we're going we're gonna to rebuild this place. But after they rebuilt it, he repopulated it with freedmen from families that were connected to Rome. So comes into Corinth, it's destroyed, hey, we're going to rebuild this thing, and, and, and instead of just letting the, the native people, the population around there, those who had historical ties to it, settle it and say, hey, we built the city back up for you, now be good Roman citizens, and blah, blah, blah. He brought in a bunch of folks who had connection to Rome, connection to families, power, influence, all those kind of things, and said, hey, we're going to give you a lot of space. I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you property, all that kind of stuff. I want you to come in here and help make this Roman all right, so they know that this is a Roman city, but Corinth was very diverse. It was very diverse because you had the, the Greek culture around them. You had Rome. You had other people. You, you see where it's located. It was in a strategic place on this, uh, in Greece where there was a lot of traffic and trade and travel, and so they really catered to that, and they became a very, very diverse city because of the trade. Uh, in that area. There were around 100,000 people living in that area of Corinth during Paul's day. That's a pretty decent-sized city for that day and time. All right, about 100,000 people who called that place home, either Corinth or some of the neighboring villages that would have been sort of the, the suburbs uh, of, of Corinth, called, it, called that home. So about 100, 
thousand people. It was in a strategic place where there was this division there uh, at the, the, the bottom of Greece there where um, they would actually haul boats. So you get trade, and they'd haul boats, and they'd put them up on land and put them on wheels, and they'd get their slaves and servants, and they would haul these things across miles and miles of land because it was actually shorter than traveling all the way down south, up, and around. Uh, so they, would, they, would, they became the city of trade, and they would became a shortcut to get from one place to another with the boats. Now in modern-day Corinth, this area, there's actually a, a little canal that they've, they've built. They didn't have it in Paul's day, but they built this canal right through there so ships can come straight in and out, and they don't have to carry them over land anymore. And so this was a port city with vibrant trade. As uh, the authors of the, the book, The First Letters to the Corinthians, say this. I think we got this quote here. Corinth was prosperous, cosmopolitan, religiously pluralistic, accustomed to visits by impressive traveling public speakers and obsessed with status, self-promotion, and personal rights. This is what they write about Corinth of the day. Any, other, any words in there that describe situations that are in this modern, modern day? Yeah, Corinth was prosperous, all right, because of where it was located, because they were focused on trade and, and catering to the trade. They were cosmopolitan. They were trendsetting for that area. They set the trends for that area. I'm thinking something like New York City, all right? This is, this is like the ancient New York City. Uh, they, they were religiously pluralistic, Temples everywhere. Corinth was known to have temples everywhere, of every sort of variety and religion. Because you get these guys coming off the boats, right, with the trade and the money and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh gosh, you know, they came off and I heard they worship this deity. You know what we want them to do? We want them to spend money in this city. So we're going to create this temple where they can come and worship and do a lot. There's a lot of stuff tied to worship during that day, which, was, uh, which th- we're going to see what this church is dealing with. Anyway, we want them to spend money, so we're going to give them ways to worship. We're going to give them ways to cater to their own values, beliefs, and whatever. So you see all of these temples and stuff popping up all the, over the place, and it was religiously pluralistic. Custom to visits by impressive traveling public speakers. They were impressed with the celebrities. During that day, a lot of people would come through and they would tout themselves as these, these, these um, speakers, these, these, these teachers of knowledge and wisdom, and, and you'd want to hear them, and they'd gather followings and, and groups that would come to them, and, and Corinth was uh, obsessed with this, they said, because they wanted to be in the know, all right? They wanted to be in the know. They wanted to be seen as, as having wisdom and, and being a center of, of wisdom, prosperity, and all of that kind of stuff. They were obsessed with status. Probably using language like, man, we're the, we're the greatest city in the whole Roman Empire. We're the greatest. They, did, they say they did self-promotion, and they were focused on personal rights. Do whatever you want, right? Do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. This is the, this is the feel. This is the feel of the city where Paul plants this church. Paul plants this church. Maybe we see why this is relevant even for us today. And we're going to see these attitudes infiltrate this Corinthian church as we dive into the material. We read in Acts 18 that Paul established the church on one of his missionary journeys around 50 AD. 
He met up with a, a wife-husband team of Priscilla and Aquila, uh, who would later on, they would be influential in, in his work. We see them mentioned in a, a, a letter to the Roman church. They were also influential in helping Apollos. You hear Apollos have a clear understanding of the gospel, clear up some misconceptions that Apollos had about the gospel. And, and this team of Priscilla and Aquila helped Apollos grow in his faith, which he's going to be mentioned in this book as well. And, and Paul's going to point out that the, the church is fighting over the apostles. Who's the greatest? Who do they follow? And that's mentioned. Sothenes is mentioned in verse 1. We see him, and we also saw him in, in Acts 18. Uh, he was beaten up by the religious leaders because of he joined the church, and he himself was a leader in the synagogue, and then the religious leader pulled him out, beat him up to, to, uh, to uh, make an example of him to try to stop the progress of the church, these Jewish leaders to try to stop the progress of the church. And so this church starts off in tribulation and in hardship and, and struggle, because the Jews rejected Paul so severely, he makes the announcement that ah, from now on, I'm, sent, I'm spending all my time going to reach the Gentiles. And that was sort of a declaration that he, met, that he made there in, in Acts 18, we saw that. And we see the, the Jewish population, uh, the leaders specifically, pulling in leaders, beating them up, taking them to the court, trying to stop the, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But many believed and were baptized. The Holy Spirit kept moving. The gospel message kept moving through. And the church was started. And Paul writes this letter a few years later. And so there's 1 Corinthians, we have 2 Corinthians. There are also other letters. There could be up to four letters that Paul wrote that are alluded to uh, for this church, and he writes these letters a few years later after these problems in the church start to resurface, or start to surface and come to the, the surface, and he's made aware of this. Because Paul, we see in the, the passages in Acts, he goes, he starts the church, and then he has to go leave on his other missionary journeys. These are the, these are the kind of problems that this church is experiencing. They're not getting along with one another. They're not united in purpose in mission. They're actually struggling with power. You know, they're having power struggles. Who's the greatest, right? They're having a problem respecting the leadership, specifically Paul's status as an apostle. They're making comparisons of, we're going to see Paul and Peter and Apollos and, and others. You know, who do they really follow? Who's, who's really their spiritual father? They're having financial problems. It's not that they don't have money. That's a very wealthy area. They're having generosity problems, generosity problems. They had made promises to send money to churches in trouble, specifically to the Jerusalem church who was struggling at the time. And all the churches in Asia say, we're collecting money, we're collecting money for this. And Paul has to come in and says, you said you were going to give. Tell you what, I'm sending someone over, so giving you a warning. This is what you said you were going to give. I'm sending them over to go collect it for you so they can take it to the church. Kind of expect that you, 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 you honor your pledge to these brothers and sisters who are struggling. You said you would. They had all sorts of religious problems. They, they fought over how to do communion, right? People are getting drunk at the communion table. This, this is why we use little cups, right? No, uh, yeah, I mean, all this, uh, how, do you, how do you get drunk at the communion table? My word, how out of bounds is this? practice in the, in the church. They're, they're having 
food issues, what can you eat, what you can't eat, because there's, there's all these temples that, that have restaurants attached to them, and there's food issues that come from these other temples, and they're having disagreements on food and what they can eat, and meat and vegetables, all this stuff. They're, they're having disorderly church services, so imagine this place. Everybody is being real nice right now, but imagine everybody's just popping up in the service, and, well, I think this, and I think this, and well, I got this word, and I got this, you know, all this stuff, and we're just like fighting and squabbling, and, and that's what we do when we get together. That'd be a fun thing to experience on a Sunday, wouldn't it? Right? That'd be fun. They're fighting over spiritual gifts. Who has the best gifts? What are the... The, the premier gifts, and Paul's going to have to correct them on that. They've got relationship problems. Like I said, power struggles. They're, they're, they're segregating the rich from the poor and basically putting them in two different experiences within the church service. The rich get to all sit up front, the poor way back in the back, and the rich get to come and eat from the Lord's table first. And by the time the, the poor are involved in it, there's like nothing left. And so they're having all sorts of issues with that. And they're having all sorts of marriage relationship issues. Son-in-laws, hooking up with mother-in-laws, stuff like that. Mm. You read this letter, and you imagine Paul sitting at his desk. Mm. And this, and this, oh my word, and this, I can't believe this. Oh my gosh, how could you do this? Oh my gosh, how do you even call yourself a church following Jesus Christ? Oh, my word. You imagine, I just imagine Paul sitting at this, and it's like, I, I, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this thing. But Paul's tactful. We see this at the beginning. He comes in with a good dose of honey before he starts addressing all these problems. He's going to remind them of who they are, who they are in Jesus, and their calling. They're calling. He, he's going to be firm. He's going to be so firm, but he's also going to be loving towards them. He's going to, he's going to refer to them as his, his spiritual children because he does love this church, and he wants this church to succeed. And, and so this, this is a letter written, and I think all, New, Testament's letter, all re, New Testament letters are a response, basically, to the commands of Jesus. We see the commands of Jesus again. And I like to read this before we get into a letter because the New Testament is a response to this command by Jesus where he says in places like Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love God. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. And Jesus elevates this up there as well. Love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets depend on these two things. We squabble, we squabble about sometimes things that are insignificant. The letters of response, basically like instructions to the church, remember what Jesus said. We're loving God. We're following Jesus. And he calls us to love other people as well. These are the two commands. And, and he's, he's, Paul's writing a letter and, and, and the other authors who are writing letters as well are saying, this is what this, these following these commands can look like. This is, these are some examples of what it means to follow the commands that Jesus gave to us. Ooh, this is a big letter, big letter. He's writing this to a group of people who had claimed to be fully committed to the, the, the mission of Jesus Christ, following Jesus as their Savior, and then this is the stuff that's happening. This is the stuff that's happening. And Paul is all about Jesus here in this, this letter. 
We see it from right at the beginning. Ever, do you ever get excited about something? Like something grabs your attention and you just like can be fully devoted to this cause or this person or whatever. I remember back in college, I was about 19 or 20. I was probably 19. This girl caught my eye and we had become friends. Man, I wanted to go out on a date with this girl. Summer came. This girl's name is Sarah, by the way. <laughs> you may know her. We've been together 25 years. <laughs> Caught my attention. Man, there was an opportunity during the summer. I lived in Michigan. She was living in Arkansas where we went to school, 800 and some miles away from each other, writing letters. We didn't have cell phones back then, right? At least we weren't rich enough to have those big old brick cell phones you could use, you know, kind of thing. We're calling on the landline phone. We're writing letters back and forth. I'm like, I've got like a week I can take off of work. Jumped in my old Chevy Nova, 87 Chevy Nova. What a cruddy little car, but so great. Love that car. Love that car. Jumped in that car. Got permission first from my folks and from hers. Jumped in that car. Drove down 800 plus miles. No cell phones. Remember those days when you had to drive cross country and you had the big old map that you pulled out? No, kids, kids, there's some kids. You don't, you don't understand this. You understand this, but those glorious maps you'd pull out, and you're like, I'm about to cross the border of another state. You know, flip over to where that other state is, you know, so you can keep following that path. I, I, had, I, had, I had never crossed country by myself before, never been in a car for that long. 15 hours was, 15 and a half hours was the trip. 15 and a half hours of driving on this thing and following the maps, had never done this before in my life. I'm by myself in my life, but man, I want to spend time with this girl. I want to get to know this girl dedicated to this. And so driving down 15 and a half hours, following the map, driving through places that I had never been through on my own to meet this girl. It's fully, fully devoted to that endeavor. Purpose, intent. I can't say love at the time because, you know, we weren't, we weren't dating. <laughs> Paul's getting excited about one thing. Jesus. This is how he starts out the letter. He is focused on King Jesus. Trying to get this church focused on King Jesus. He mentions Jesus. So just Jesus. 26 times in this letter. He mentions Christ, and, and, I'm, and when it combines, I'm not counting that as doubling up kind of thing. He mentions Jesus, and he mentions Christ. He mentions Christ over 40 times in this letter. He mentions him a bunch in these first couple of verses. Read with me verse 4 down to verse 9. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus that you are enriched in him in every way, in all speech, in all knowledge. Listen to the honey he's given here before he's going to have to go dive in and, and give him some, some correction. In this way, verse 6, the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. You were called by Him into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, you, you know someone's heart 
You know Paul's heart by the way he starts this letter. What's it all on? Christ Jesus. You remember who Jesus? Remember the testimony we gave of Jesus? Remember the message we preached about Jesus? Remember your commitment to King Jesus? This is where it goes back to. And he starts to lead them in these couple passages. We're almost done here. We're almost done. He starts to lead them in these, these couple of verses here about what King Jesus has done for them, what they've got because of King Jesus. Tozer says this, salvation is bringing back to normal the creator-creature relationship. I think that's fantastic. I had a professor in, in, in uh, college who used to say that through Jesus, we recognize or we realize what it means to be truly human. Jesus brings us back, invites us back into our true humanity, which is walking with God, relationship with God. That missing piece where we were separated from God. Jesus, first and foremost, invites us back into a relationship and, and reintroduces us to the idea of what it means to truly be human, God's creation. He says in verse 4, he's, he calls us into a life-giving relationship. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God that he's given to you in Christ Jesus. He's calling us into this life-giving relationship through Jesus. He's given us wisdom and knowledge about God's kingdom and how to live and how to be the church. And he says this in verse 5, so that you are enriched in him in every way, in all speech, in all knowledge. We all need this. We need wisdom. We need guidance. He's going to pour it on for this church. He's given us gifts so that we can express kingdom values and live a kingdom life. In verse 7, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of, Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he also strengthens us, strengthens us so that we can stay strong. And he says to be blameless. In verse 8, you will, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he provides hope. He provides hope so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for something. He's providing us hope to wait in that as we wait. These are the things that Paul is asking his church to remember. These are the things that Jesus is offering us. And the rest of the letter is going to be built on this stuff. Your position in Christ He's giving you life. He's giving you peace. He's giving you wisdom, understanding. He's giving you strength to stand firm. He's giving you hope. And it's all based on what Jesus has done for us and then our place with Jesus as heirs to God's kingdom. Life, peace, wisdom, strength, hope. Are these the things that we need? Do you feel like you need some of that stuff? Do you feel like you need some of that stuff? Oh, yeah. This is what we're going to see here. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. You can turn here if you want to. I don't have a slide up for this one. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4. Again, talking about the purpose of this, the purpose of this letter, the, the purpose of our study. I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, I preached, you received, on which you have taken your stand, you found your foundation, by which you have been saved, you're being saved if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Did you really believe, he's saying? Do you really believe what we told you about Jesus? If you did, it's going to sustain you. 
Verse 3, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And because of that, life, peace, hope, strength, wisdom, understanding flows from our relationship with God. His letter, Paul's going to point out a lot of interesting stuff (laughs) that this church was going through. A lot of conflict, a lot of trial, a lot of really questionable behavior, a lot of controversy within the church. Sometimes, sometimes we sort of take that and we push it outside and said, man, if other people would just do get this stuff right, you know, then this world would be a better place. Paul's not writing to the other people. Paul's not writing this letter to the Roman government. Paul's not writing this to, to the leaders of the city of Corinth. Who's Paul writing this to? The church. The church. He's going to tell us in this letter, he says, what business do I have or you have to judge outsiders? But we trust that God's going to be the judge, right? He's going to say, we, we trust God's going to be the judge to make those things right and get them back to where they need to be. So we are looking to judge in here, Paul says. We're, our purpose, if we're, if we're going to judge, if we're going to try to make things right, put things back the way they should be, we're doing it here and not necessarily too worried or scared or concerned or anxious about what's happening out there. This, this is who Paul's writing to. He's, this letter is meant to remind us about our place with King Jesus, what he's done for us, the example that he's given us, and then ways that we live this out with one another and out there as well with those who we come in contact with in our community. And this is, this is about personal faith. This is about individual, each one of us here. But this is also about a corporate faith, the corporate body that's called the church. And hopefully, as we go through this study, we're going to find encouragement, we're going to find challenge, and we're going to hopefully find some, draw some unity here. This is what Paul's trying to do here to this church in Corinth. A quote here says, We need assurance that we are deeply loved. This assurance can't come by our own strength or from other people, but only from the one who knows us perfectly and loves us ferociously and unconditionally. And that is our Lord and Savior, our King Jesus. Paul brings them back to Jesus as the center. He's going to help them recognize what it means to live a life following Jesus' example within the church and then also within the community. So we're just diving into the study. And actually, we've got a couple minutes here. We've got a couple minutes here before the worship team needs to, to get back up. So I want to ask some questions, maybe. I want to ask some questions. Has anybody read through Corinthians this past couple weeks? I read through it a couple times. Yeah, I, I have to, right? <laughs> I challenged us a couple weeks ago to, to maybe start diving into the Corinthians. One of the things that Paul's talking about is, is, is being grateful and, have, and having thanksgiving for what Christ has done for us and being thankful as a church with the blessings that he's given us, the life that he's given us, the hope that he's given us. Have you... You guys, again, 
if we just look outside and let the outside world sort of dictate our attitudes, and we see this popping up all over the place with controversies and debates and all sorts of stuff, we, we, can, let that, we can let that influence our perspective. And again, I'm not saying we don't have a say, we don't have a, an opinion, we don't have a voice. Yeah, we live in this great country. We all get to have the, the right to say how we feel and what we think. But are we grateful? Are we sitting in the gratitude that comes through Christ Jesus? What are you guys grateful for? What are you guys grateful for, for what Christ has done for you? This is, this is, this is the letter. <laughs> yeah, Jesus loves you. He does, Amelia. He loves you. He loves each and every one of us in here. Whether we've followed, decided to follow him or not, Jesus still loves us is calling on us, reaching out to us. What are, what are we grateful for? Grateful for, his grace. for his grace. Yes, back in the back. I'm grateful that his plan is there, there we go. Yes, I'm grateful for that too. He gives us wisdom and he gives us guidance, but we're still human. And we still tend to like, oh man. And we make our plans and whatever, you know, but, but God, again, I think this goes back to the idea of, you know, we, we judge a lot. We, we, we tend to like throw out our opinion and oh, the, if this was right, if this was right, if this was right, but then God's the one. God's covering that. God's given himself the responsibility for all of that, right? The war is already won. Hmm? The war is already won. The war is already won, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else are we grateful for? The Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, that's part of it. He's given us the wisdom and guidance, and it comes practically by following the Spirit and letting the Spirit who resides. As we're believers of Jesus, God has given us His Spirit so that we can be in, in relationship with Him. And so we're sealed by His Spirit, cannot be taken away. Nothing in this world can separate us, uh, and He's given us wisdom. We need to lean into that and hear from the Spirit and live it out. Yeah. Does anybody else feel like life is tough? <laughs> is life tough, whether it's physical stuff or relationship stuff or just cultural stuff or finance? I mean, we could, we could list all the ways that the world just seems like it's coming against us, right? That it's set against us. It's, it's because we live in a fallen place, right? And we're waiting for Christ to come and make all things new, but he sits there with us, again, with the Spirit residing inside of us to be with us. God is there with us, walking through the challenges of each and every day. Yeah. I'm glad that this is real. Mm-hmm. Doesn't just, it's not a book of just all platitudes and wisdom. There's a lot of cruddy stuff in there. <laughs> 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 because that's what life is like. Yeah. And this is how God walks with people because yeah. this is life that we yeah. walk. Yeah, and the stories in the scriptures are about real people doing real things, having, winning, winning real battles and also doing some really bad stuff, right? But, but God continues to move. This, this is, this is a, a redemption story. This book is a redemption story about God's plan, how it went wrong, how humanity decided to turn and do their own thing, but
God continues throughout this whole story to call people to himself. Come to me. Come to me. This, that's, this is the story of redemption, renewal, restoration of relationship to God, which will then come to fruition, full fruition, you know, when the fullness of time, when God says it's right, right? God says it's right. Yeah. It's also a true story. A lot of evidence for that yeah. story. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Lots to be grateful for. Lots to be grateful for. Paul sets him off on that, that path at the beginning of his letter. Do you remember? Do you remember Christ? Do you remember the message that was preached? Do you remember what I brought, others have brought to you through the preaching of the gospel? Do you remember what you held on to, what you grabbed on to at the beginning? He says, we're going back there first and foremost and all these other things are then a reflection of what it means to be in community with god to love god and love one another love one another let's go to the lord in prayer lord jesus we come to you grateful thankful for the gift of salvation that you have given to us lord if there is anyone here today who has not recognized you as savior i pray lord that this would be today lord that your holy spirit would move in their hearts to show them your truth, to show them who you are as the king of this world, the one who's been given all authority over everything. You know, each and every one of us need to put our trust in you, decide to follow you so that we can enjoy this eternal life with God, our Father and Creator. Pray, Lord, that you would just, as, as we come together as the church, that we would recognize that in the, the areas that maybe that we even fall short in, in showing your true glory and living out your glory and, and our purpose, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that you would um, continue to unite us together for a common purpose and goal. Thank you, Jesus, again, for what you have done for us. We come in your precious name. Amen. All right.